We get live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. All right, here we go. And <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 142. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com. Joined as per usual by Kyle Carr and joined in a, a, a feature role today, Van Fayaz filling in for Riley Feldman. Normally I would ask you how you are, but we just did that in a recording of the podcast that we just recorded. So what we're going to do is we're going to shift right into this First game from the past week, the Warriors game. Bucks win 128 to 113. Van, you were talking about how it seemed like this was a herky-jerky game and the place where it seemed to go off the rails for the Warriors was really at the end of the first quarter. Right. I think that around the, the, the two-minute mark of that, the end of the first quarter, uh, we saw the double technicals, the first ones. Um, that was on uh, – it was initially on – on Curry, and then right after that, on on Steve Kerr. Actually, that was with thirty seconds left in the in the first, and um, that was where it first felt like the Warriors were starting to lose control of this one. Um, because, as I was saying, I don't think I've ever seen Steph Curry get a technical, um, and you know, most of the games I've seen him play are, of course, postseason games. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen it, and Steve Kerr. Um, it's not the type of coach I, I associate with racking up lots of technical fouls. I mean, I'm sure he's had them, uh, had plenty of them, but he seems like a pretty mild-mannered coach most of the time. Um, but then in the second quarter, the Warriors started to make a move. And with, let's see, a minute 21 left, they got it to six points. Uh, but then six points in the final minute for the Bucks, and they really kind of wrestled control of the game from there on out, um, the third quarter, the Bucks win by six points. Um, and obviously things got really chippy um, and the Bucks maybe weren't shooting quite as well uh, as the game wore on, but uh, it felt like they had uh, more control over things than the Warriors did who seemed to just kind of completely lose their cool uh, pretty early on in this one um, and racked up a few more technicals. And by the third quarter, it was... Uh, at the end of the third quarter, Kerr uh, just pulled his starters and conceded this one, basically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, we had Kerr and Curry getting their technicals. We had Draymond saying that a fan threatened him. The fan disputed that. So, yeah, that whole situation happening as well. And Golden State's always struggled on the road this year. I think they're two and 12 or something like they, they are they literally just won their their third game on the road in toronto like minutes ago so <laughs> okay so yeah. on the road <laughs> so yeah to give you an idea of how bad they've been so they've definitely been struggling but yeah it was kind of that end of the first quarter where the bucks were able to get on that run and i think milwaukee saw their offense completely as we talked about briefly in that houston game last week the offense just looked like a hodgepodge of a mess. And this time it actually looked pretty good, especially in that first quarter. And they were able to kind of go on runs. And I think that was something that they couldn't do against the Rockets was kind of go on that, you know, six, two, seven, one, eight, whatever. Like they weren't able to, it's not, it doesn't need to be a substantial like 
20 to two run, but I think that was something that they were missing. So between that and Giannis was able to still get to the free throw line consistently. Bobby Portis had a great game off the bench. And I think that was kind of important for them as well, just to get someone other than Giannis really going. Chris Middleton had a good game as well. I, I think this was probably his best game since he came back and we'll talk about his other ones, but to do all that and without Drew Holiday as well. And I think that was uh, really important. I think they figured it out um, in terms of how to handle stuff on screens because he only went three of 10 from three. So definitely made sure to not consistently get him the looks that he's, he wants. And Milwaukee's done a pretty good job of that with Steph in the past where they kind of force him to take tougher threes, force him to take looks that he's not used to making him earn his you know, kind of earn those buckets. So good on Milwaukee for that. But it was also kind of sloppy as well. And I think part of that was because it was very bench heavy in the fourth quarter when Curd kind of decided to wave the white flag and Milwaukee's throwing, you know, extended minutes to, I mean, Pat Connaughton was, he was shooting the ball okay, but he definitely had a couple turnovers. George Hill was having a couple turnovers. It did feel sloppy, but it was odd because it felt like, yes, the final score was correct in terms of how the game was, but it also didn't feel like it because Milwaukee could have easily gotten the 140-150 if their offense was a little bit cleaner. Yeah, this was I mean the Warriors the Warriors take 53 pointers, which I I would have to guess is probably the most a Bucks opponent has taken this year uh against them. I'd be I'd be actually curious about that. But it's gotta be up there. Um so they obviously were relying upon that volume because inside they were hitting almost nothing. When you look at the numbers, they were only 11 of 20 at the rim and then two of 12 from like four, four to 14 feet. So that kind of floater range. So obviously the Brooke Lopez, Giannis and Tedekupo defensive front line was doing everything that they could have hoped, especially against their, the Warriors having to put pool into the lineup with, with Wiggins out. So they, they were, they were pretty small and the Bucks took full advantage of that too, going inside. I mean, they were 20 of 23 at the rim against the Warriors, which is, ridiculous but was kind of the the template you would expect against them so i i thought overall the bucks let them get their three pointers up and whatnot but they more than made up for it in the math game with the free throw line too because the warriors have been abysmal following opponents this year which i i did not realize they have like one of the worst free throw disparities in the league but bucks took full advantage and yeah, also getting do. 48 points in the paint it, it's not the highest that milwaukee's on but it was pretty nice to see yeah, 53 pointers is the season high for a Bucks opponent. Previous one was 45 by OKC in that overtime game. Um, and it's, uh, it's obviously a big change uh, as opposed to last year. The Bucks uh, right now, I, I just looked this up, uh, ninth in the league, ninth best in the league at eliminating uh, opponent three-point shots. They're, um, they're allowing opponents to take 34.6 per game, I think it was. That might have been the opposing three-point percentage, which is also very good. Um, they're 11th in that. Um, but last year and years prior, not uncommon for teams to get up uh, between 45 and 50 or sometimes even over 50 three-pointers a game, just looking really quickly at last season. Um, and there were three games, or no, four games, where the, the Bucks uh, conceded over 50 three-point attempts and uh, that's in the regular season. And then the playoffs, it happened three times as well, uh, twice against Boston, of course, the 
game seven when they hoisted up 55. So obviously that's been a big focus for um, for them this year. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think that was more a function of, obviously Golden State takes a lot. Like I believe they take the most three-point shots in the league. Um, their average coming into that game, 43.4 attempts per game. Uh, to me, it felt more like a function of just a team that was kind of being blown out, just jacking up threes to get themselves back into it, which we saw a lot from uh, Bucks opponents in the first couple of years of Bud's tenure. Kyle, admit it. You were starting to get scared when Dante hit his first one or two threes that he was about to go off, right? Look, it was one of those where I figured he's going to get hot and this is going to be a revenge game. You never, never rule out the quality that someone can have in a revenge game. And then Dante continued taking more and more shots and ended up with 15. And I felt a little bit better. One for five inside the arc. Uh, of course, he missed uh, <laughs> missed a few layups. Uh, well, Pat Connaughton swatted got, his shot to West Dallas. He got blocked. Yeah, he, one of one of them got blocked. He, he he biffed a really like gimme one where he made a nice move around. Um, it might have been it might have been Bobby. It might have been Brooke uh, to lift one like the you know he went kind of like Euro stepped across the lane a little bit and got one up with the left hand and it was just an unimpeded shot that just didn't go in at all. It was like a, a total gimme, but uh, it's good to see that. Something never changed, I guess. <laughs> Anything to make of Giannis missing basically every jumper throughout the game? Do you, do you like Kyle? Do you think he was just kind of okay? Well, this game, I think we're still going to win it, so I'm just going to try and find some sort of rhythm here as it goes on. This was a I'm going to take the jumpers because I can, partially because we are up and I feel and it's a comfortable lead. And also, what else am I going to do with the ball? Even though, again, Bobby and Chris were playing pretty well and you could have just let them do what they needed to. I don't... 15 jumpers is way too many, period. Giannis should not be taking 15 jumpers. And I hope, unless it's a blowout, never again. Yeah, this was, I don't think, something he would have done in a closer game. Um, And typically he's very unselfish with the ball. And I think he recognized that his teammates were really excelling. I mean, talk about like, he had 30 points. He was the leading scorer in the game, but I wouldn't say he was the best buck that night. I would say that was Bobby Portis. Um, and maybe, maybe even, I mean, Grayson Allen did not miss a shot from the field. Six for six, two, two from three. Um, looking really good going to the rim too. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that with 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 these shots he's taking, I think he's really trying to establish something this season because he's really struggling from that um, three to ten foot range. Last year he had a, a career year, I believe, in that area. Um, and in general, uh, his his jumper last year and his his mid range game was was quite good, and it looked like a it looked like a, a step forward in his progression and that carried over into the playoffs too. But this season, his jumper looks pretty broken. He's had more success actually. I think of that longer mid range, that like 16 foot area. Um, but on uh, Tuesday night, he took most of his shots from that area and did not make a single one. The only jumper he made was a three. And I think 
late third quarter um, after Stan Van Gundy had, you know, been counting them up. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it it really is a difficult balance because there are, I mean, having to, to go through some of the punishment that he goes through, I mean, it cannot be easy to have to do that over and over and stare that down. But it is, it has been a little bit frustrating to see him settling so much this year. But at the same time, if he wants to get to where I think he wants to be at the end of the year, I think he needs to find that rhythm that he had last year. Even if it's not at the same efficiency, he's got to be able to have some sort of confidence going up, dribbling to the elbow, pulling up from there, and that defenders won't just be able to sag off him so liberally. So I guess in that respect, it's it, it's okay. But I also agree. I don't need to see him take that many jumpers almost ever again. How about those 10 second violations? Should we talk about those? Oh God. We're back to <laughs> well, doing okay. this last. <laughs> hey, what's your, what's your, sorry. what's your view on this van? Cause I, I we kind of talked about it a little bit, I think a, one or two weeks ago. Okay. So um, yeah, I, I've, I've been at a number of games this year and um, Giannis, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go down and check, check out the players warming up. Giannis is usually the, He's usually out there right before the uh, pregame press conference. And watching him take free throws in that context, um, I'm always looking at what he's doing with his breathing. Um, And I actually asked him about this in a a press conference, and he didn't really have too much to say about it. He, um, you know, he, 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 he said he didn't really have much control over it, but it was interesting watching him in in pregame. You know, he'll, he's, we're used to seeing him, you know, get the ball, take a, a deep breath, like, uh, and raise his shoulders up, like, uh, kind of a, a tense breath. And then he'll, you know, flip the ball and the, off to his side and then dribble it. Then he's often taking another breath. Um, and then he's shooting. And I think he's been, in general, a bit better lately. Um, he was 11 for 17 in this game. Without those 10-second violations, he would have been... Uh, 11 for 15, like we could say he's 11 for 15, you know, they count the, the 10 second violations as missed free throws, but of the shots he actually t- he took, he only missed four of those 15. Uh, in that, but in the, the pregame warmups, sometimes I would see him, you know, he's taking a number of them in pretty quick succession. He's getting rebounds and he'll still take that breath before he dribbles, but then he won't take the breath after he dribbles. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's necessarily something he's thinking about, but it's something I noticed, and it's definitely something that adds a lot of time. What I thought was <laughs> pretty strange in this game was the two uh, the two free throws that he got whistled on. Uh, I'm not even sure if both of them were actually 10 seconds, uh, or past 10 seconds. Um, I have a feeling one of them wasn't, but there was one in the second quarter that had to have been at least 15 <laughs> seconds. I was just saying, they're like, how are they not whistling this? This is really excessive. So maybe it was um, a makeup call for that. But I guess my position on it is just, he. I understand that he needs to get a breather. You know, he's, when he's, especially when he's getting fouled, like he's obviously doing something very physical that's getting him fouled. He's going to the rim. Um, he's finishing through contact. I get needing to, you know, compose yourself a little bit. But um, I think he can do that before he takes his dribble. I think he does that just fine. Um, so maybe just that, that my, my opinion is, and I'm no, you know, 
shot doctor or anything like that. But just from watching him uh, in pregame, he can do it without taking that second breath. And I also think that maybe just the amount of tension I see with his, his breath, like it doesn't look to me like a very relaxed exhale and, 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 inhale, and inhale, you know, uh, it looks like a pretty like uh, forced kind of thing. Like uh, if you, if you think of a bellows that you use in the fireplace and I'm getting all like trombone player here, but um, this is something I've talked about with students. Like if you open up a bellows from a fireplace, I mean, what he's doing is he's like squishing it all together really quick. And there's a lot of air when you expand a bellows, there's a lot of air in there. So when you force that all out, it takes a lot of pressure like you're using a lot of force, a lot of strength to get all the air out, to squeeze those two handles of the bellows together. And obviously he can't necessarily take like a, a nice, like full breath and a full exhale that you, you really want a nice relaxed breath. But um, I think it's just something that's adding some tension to, to what he's doing at the line. That's my, that's my unqualified opinion as someone who knows a lot about breathing but maybe doesn't know as much about shooting free throws i just don't understand what he changed because i feel like last year you shot free throws at a perfectly acceptable rate and was not getting constant whistle for 10 seconds and it seems like he just completely abandoned it and I, who knows he also does adventure. the he also does the like walk to half i don't know if every player does this but he seems to walk to half court and then walks up like that that could also be sort of time to compose yourself. But I, I will also say, like, I looked at the clock during this, the Utah Jazz game the other night, and it was like 940, and it was already the fourth quarter, I think. And I, I felt like the game was moving significantly faster without every single trip to the line for Giannis taking uh, taking quite a bit of time. So I, I, I'm fine. He needs to speed it up, like, flat out. He we You can't be getting 10-second calls in the playoffs they know about it now. They're going to end up calling it. So he, he's got to be able to speed it up and then avoid any sort of, for our sake as well. I, I really don't need to hear the chanting of the 10 seconds um, by fans in the playoffs. I'm glad we haven't heard that uh, since that last game in Phoenix. I don't really, th- I think maybe one or two games last year, but it didn't take hold, uh, certainly in the postseason. Yeah. And speaking of, of stuff I never need to hear about again, this uh, this Grizzlies loss, 142-101, I mean, there's some conversations we could have about it. I, I would recommend, I wrote this in the recap because I stayed up for the whole game because I was recapping it. Just forget everything that happened from the game, and I, I think you'll probably be generally happier in life. Kyle, any... Any cause for concern that you're taking away from this game, or are you just just burning it all, leaving everything behind? I mean, it was an embarrassing loss. I get that Memphis is good, and I get that Memphis at home is really good. You were still at pretty much most of the game down by somewhere between 40 and 50 points, and that is kind of embarrassing. I think it's a burn the tape. They were just ra- they were ran out the gym. It, it really was that simple. Like Memphis ran them out the gym and got every shot they wanted at the rim with no difficulty. And besides the fourth quarter, there wasn't really much like the fourth quarter was kind of cool. So like if, if you just ignore the score and just watch the fourth quarter, it's not a bad time. <laughs> it's not that bad of a time. If you just watch the fourth quarter and you don't see the score, but yeah, I mean, I'm not concerned, but it, I mean, it was, it was bad, but I don't think it's anything 
to be there isn't a it's not like a okay hit the panic button trade everyone it's not game five of brooklyn bad <laughs> i think i think that memphis is a particularly bad matchup for the bucks we've been talking about this a lot of people have been talking about this but um just the combination of really big physical defenders like adams and, and jaron jackson um which you think is something that the bucks could could deal with pretty well but that combination alongside the really fast play of uh just the team in general they're a pretty quick paced team and the speed uh and dynamicism of their other guards and they weren't even desmond bain wasn't even playing of course but obviously john morant uh, one of the most you know electric players in the nba um and even dylan brooks i mean <laughs> dylan brooks is actually uh, i kind of like dylan brooks um He's a he's an interesting he's an interesting player and he's a bit of a polarizing player because uh, he's an odd combination of a really strong perimeter defender, really pesky guy who um, is going to be up in your grill, which fits in great in in Memphis. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of Tony Allen comparisons, but uh, on the other end of the court, he's a complete chucker, <laughs> um, uh, and he. I think he's tamped that down a bit this year. And in that game, he was actually, I, I thought he was moving the ball pretty well against the Bucks. Um, but he, he completely ate Chris Milton's lunch. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, again, like I, I, yeah, like, like Kyle said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not panicking about this. I mean, good teams, the best teams in the league, uh, they lose, they lose games embarrassingly. They lose, uh, to teams that they shouldn't lose to like, uh, we should, talk about the Celtics at some point because they they just dropped uh, no Jason Tatum today but they just dropped their second consecutive game to the Orlando Magic um, so this kind of thing happens but um, I mean there are still a few points from this game that I think you know you yeah you burn a lot of the tape but if I'm Bud I probably would show them some of these possessions where they're just not getting back in transition at all um that was, I think, the most concerning thing to me, uh, because the Bucks typically are, like in years past, really good transition defense. This year, I don't think they're quite as good, um, based on what I've heard. But uh, and, you know, you still see some like chase down blocks from from Giannis every few games. But um, this was uh, it was that that was that was the most concerning thing to me, which is the complete lack of effort uh, in in transition, especially like even in the first quarter. I mean, just very quickly, the energy looked really off. The, the vibe looked really off for the Bucks, um, And it really showed up in the defense. Surprisingly, they did not drop out of second place in defensive rating uh, with that with that game. They're still uh, a little bit behind the, the, the Cavs for that. So um, still, yeah, like I think defensively, you, you look at a lot of this. Obviously, they missed a lot of shots. And I think they were actually getting decent looks, but um, I wouldn't worry about that as much as I'd worry about just the lack of effort, especially in the open court. Yeah, there were a couple of plays that were great. Like there was a, um, I, I don't know if it was the first or second, but there was a Giannis missed free throw where they just, he just didn't even hustle back at all in defense. And Memphis just took it and immediately went down and got a bucket. That was really frustrating. I think if you look at the first, the weird thing was in the first quarter, I actually thought Giannis was 
getting pretty good looks for everyone. It was just absolutely nothing was going down. And then couple that with, like you said, really poor defensive play and it ends up being, you get, like Kyle said, run out the gym. I, I think they are also a really interesting test case because you have a massive man in Steven Adams and you have John Morant, who's slippery as all get out, but also super athletic. And when you're doing that more core two man guarding with the pick and roll, just Javon and Brooke basically, and then you have Brooke trying to commit to jaw. And then you have someone who can crash the offensive boards as well as Steven Adams. I think that creates some sort of potential problems for the team. If your guards are still sticking out on the perimeter and aren't crashing in as hard because they're trying to prevent threes, So then maybe they're not there as much to help gang rebound on the glass. So will you find that combination of people on many other teams in the league? Probably not, but it was kind of an interesting test case to see how they're sort of more strict rules for the pick and roll played out against a team that could really attack them going, going downhill. Yeah. I kept thinking about how it's good that there's that Memphis is not in the, in the East and um, there aren't any teams like Memphis in the East and well, there aren't really teams like Memphis at all, but uh, the Bucks can deal with really good uh, opposing guard play. Like we've seen them beat Cleveland twice this year, and we've seen them shut those guys down. Um, I don't worry about uh, Philly's guards that much, but um, just something about this. Like you look at a team like Philly and you say, "Oh, like some great big man play and some some great guard play," but. They don't scare me like the Memphis Grizzlies would in a seven-game series. If I was the if I was a the Bucks, like a team like the Bucks with you know, a, a little bit older roster, let's say. Okay, and then this next this next thing, I don't want it to be the Chris Middleton conversation, Kyle. This is strictly about when do you think it's okay for us to potentially have some conversation about Chris. He goes one for 12 in the Grizzlies game and then he misses the jazz game. He's actually out for the Pelicans game on Monday as well. So what, what's your view on, on Chris? I mean, Chris had a brutal, I mean, Van mentioned it with like Dylan Brooks, just taking his lunch. And to the point that Chris commits a dirty foul, um, that was not pretty. And that was so he, he was just frustrated. Yeah. Never seen anything like that from him. I was just completely out of character. Yeah. And that, that was a weird thing. It was like, it was just, it was one of those where you just look and it's like, why would, why did he do that? Like, what are you doing? Because yeah, it's not a normal thing that he would do. And that was only like two minutes into the game. It wasn't like they were, you know, being blown (laughs) out at this point. I mean, the the Grizzlies. It was still early. Yeah, it was early. Yeah. They they came out hot. Like, I think it was what, probably like seven to nothing, eight to nothing before the Bucks scored. But it was in that stretch when Chris did that. It was very bizarre. Yeah, but when would I start having that conversation? Since he's not playing the Pelicans game, I'll give it until New Year's. I think if he doesn't play the Pelicans game, but he is available and plays the rest of these games, and he's still struggling, then come New Year's, there has to be a conversation. There's going to have to be, because other than he's had two, and I mean, we were saying this before, he had two good, he had he had a good Golden State game. Like I think Golden State was, a good, like a better slash good Chris Middleton game. And then the Orlando one was the other one, but otherwise he's been struggling. And then when you have a game like this, where he just offered nothing and he was just racking up fouls left and right. And I, I was kind of surprised. I think Bud was just like, you know what? 
if you foul out, you foul out. Like it was just getting to that point in the second half where Bud's like, I don't even, there's not even a point in trying to make a tactical move or like save him from foul troubles. Like if you like, he, I think Bud was just like, whatever play until you foul out or this game gets too, too out of hand. Yeah. It did look like he maybe was leaving Chris out there to hang in the breeze a little bit, but I, I mean, I think to the point that the Kyle says, I think new year's is probably, is probably a good time frame. Um, he's played, he's appeared in seven games, but he's really only played six because he left after, I don't know, maybe like seven minutes in that Houston game last week. Um, and look at this this set of if you if you count that one out, um, he's had two pretty solid games. His first one uh, versus the Lakers, and then the, the Warriors game, um, and then some okay efforts uh, in the versus uh, Sacramento and Dallas, a little bit less efficient with Dallas, and then two absolute stinkers. Um, six games from a guy who six games in from a guy who didn't play in. Did not play a minute of NBA basketball in nearly eight months. I mean, especially like given his his past, he deserves a, a pretty long leash. Um, people are talking a bit about his conditioning. I've noticed uh, and saying, well, you know, he, he was coming off a wrist injury, wrist surgery in the offseason. He should still be able to to get on the bike and, and you know, at least run. Um, he shouldn't be getting beat this poorly. In, in an actual game situation, um, you know, he was never a guy who relied on athleticism or speed. So, uh, but also like, I think that regardless of how much training you do, you still need a little bit of time uh, to get into NBA game shape, no matter what uh, kind of injury you're coming back from. So um, I think I'm a little bit more worried about the, the shooting than anything. Um, it's not uncommon for him to go uh, one of 11, one of 12. He's done that when he's healthy um, just seems a little bit more pronounced now, I guess, because maybe the expectations were a little high, like the Bucks are playing so well and then they're about to become whole with their, you know, one of their best three players coming back. Um, and maybe we're forgetting that Chris typically starts off the season pretty slowly. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a big litmus test is going to be Christmas day how he plays against the Celtics because he's always played the Celtics very well. Um, we didn't unfortunately get to see him do that last May. Um, probably would have, probably would have made a big difference in that series. I uh, just, just, just a hunch. Um, so if, if he's, if he, if he's back, you know, he's not going to play in new Orleans. That's fine. I actually was kind of pleased to see uh, him getting a night off on Saturday. I think he needed it. Um, so if he's back uh, later this week and a week from today, Christmas Day, he puts together a really good game, even just a solid game against Boston, I'll be resting a lot easier about Chris Middleton. Yeah, so you, there you have it. New Year, New Year's is when we could potentially have a Chris Middleton conversation, is, if there is one to be had. It is My main thing is the shoot, and you're right, Van, he, he's had some of these struggles before, but you definitely hope that he can come around here and some of the, the shooting starts to pick up for him. Cause you would, that's what you need from him. You need him to be able to shoot. So, all right, we're going to leave the Grizzlies game behind. We're not going to talk about that one anymore. Next game for the bucks was a one twenty three to 97 win over the jazz really pulled away in the, in the fourth quarter. I think lots of different ways we could attack this one. There were a lot of different 
good performances by role players with no Giannis or Chris playing. Van, you were in the in the arena. Uh, where where do you want to start with this one? I think the the best thing to talk about uh, would would be that that fourth quarter because it was um, again no no Giannis in this game too. Um, but uh, I think that when they really separated um, finally because they all game they were really trying to to get more than like a, an eight, nine point lead. Um, but Utah, who's a, a very prolific three point shooting team um, uh, in terms of percentage and volume, uh, kept shooting their way back into it, um, especially Malik Beasley, who um, I thought was, uh, was, was having a lot of, uh, he, he was, he was having a lot of success in, uh, in ways I wasn't quite expecting Beasley because I think that Javon Carter and Grayson Allen uh, were doing a great job on Clarkson and Conley, um, but they were keyed in a bit too much on him, um, especially when Beasley was in the game and uh, he was able to get freed up on screens a lot. But uh, the Bucks finally, and the Bucks were finally able to separate early in that fourth quarter, and it was with a, a lineup of, gosh, uh, Marjan was in there, Marjan Beauchamp, who we, we've definitely got to talk about. Um, Allen was in there, Mamu was in there, um, Portis was in there, and George Hill was in there to start the, the fourth quarter. And they took a um, what was a nine-point lead to a 17-point lead in the span of about a minute or two, two minutes and 15 seconds. Um, so that was, uh, that was pretty nice to see. I mean, I think the, the Jazz are they're an interesting team. Uh, it was... They were tough to watch because of their uniforms, but um, the, I, 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 I won't get into that right now. I cannot stand those uniforms. But um, I, I think that uh, Milwaukee had a, had a pretty good game plan for them, um, especially early on. They had, a, they had Drew Holiday <laughs> checking Larry Markinen uh, to start each half, which I, I thought was a very interesting choice. I mean, there's a like nine-inch... Uh, differential there between those two. Um, but otherwise, um, they really focused heavily on, I think, containing the Jazz's perimeter players, um, including Markin, and I would say he's more of a perimeter-oriented player. Uh, and uh, as they went on, the Bucks, you know, the Bucks were shooting terribly in the first quarter. Um, it took them a while to make their first three, but then they just got better and better as the game went on. They end up shooting... 47.4% from deep. Um, Jazz ended up at 34, and at halftime, um, those numbers were about the exact opposite. So, uh, yeah, it was just they just got better and better as the game went on, the Bucks. It was – it felt like one of those where the offense, because they didn't have Giannis and Chris, almost felt a little bit more fluid just because there's – I think with part of it is Giannis has so much usage – that it does kind of feel like everything does have to go through him, whether it's planned or unplanned. While when you don't have Giannis and then you don't have Chris, it's like, okay, you have Drew, and he's still going to get his shots, and Drew's still going to have the moments, but it also gives chance for Bobby Portis, and it also gave chance for Brooke. And Brooke didn't really take a lot of threes either. He was doing a lot of his damage down low. And I think the biggest thing, and this kind of ties into my next point, is Mamu, and I mean, the ball movement was really, really good in this game. And Mamu especially was, I mean, he had six assists and 
there's just like if you watch watching Mamu was kind of like he was crashing every board. He was tipping everything for an offensive rebound. He was when he got the ball, he was just very smart with it. Where sometimes he'll take a dribble and pass it out to someone open for three, and thankfully they're rewarding rewarding him with those threes. Or he was able to do a one pick and pop for three. He just seemed to be very smart with the ball, and his tap outs were helpful as well. But I think a lot of that was because Milwaukee did such a good job at moving the ball that everyone on everyone on the floor could take a three if they wanted, or they can take a couple dribbles in and kick it out to someone that's sitting in the corner. It kind of, it was weird because normally we're used to the jazz doing that where they're the ones with the really good ball movement. They're the ones that always seem to have the open three. And this time it was Milwaukee. So I, I think that was a big, I want to give kudos to Mamu because it, it didn't really show in the box score, like three points, six assists, eight rebounds, but it seemed like every hustle play he was in it or he was the reason why there is a second chance opportunity. I think this was the best game I've ever seen from Mamu, especially yes. uh, in the regular season. Um, yeah, like Kyle said, I was I was very impressed with uh, his his passing and um, uh, his 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 rebounding, um, and uh, it was <laughs> it was kind of wild to see at the end of the game. He was plus twenty six. That was uh, the highest on the team, um, and he played uh, twenty three minutes. That might be a that's, that's I'm sure that's a that's the most he's ever played in like a competitive game. I mean, if we're going to count out games where maybe, you know, Bud rested, you know, four starters or something like that. Um, in general, he, he was great. I mean, it's, uh, it, I think defensively, there's still, uh, there's still plenty of bones to pick, I mean, but you, you expect that with him. Um, I, I, I was really, uh, I, I really liked the, uh, I think it was in that fourth quarter, um, that flop, <laughs> that, that, that offensive foul, he drew the draw the foul. Um, yep. <laughs> and then he hit a three, the next possession down. It was like somewhere Marcus smarts, uh, smiling, but <laughs> or Ursan or Ursan. Yep. Yep. That's probably a better one to put it, but it just, <laughs> the first person that came to my mind was Marcus smart. Cause how many times that's fair. do that. Um, anyway, yeah, he was great. Um, but I think Beauchamp was even better. I mean, that's the guy I think we should probably spend more time talking about. Yeah, he was he was really the only kind of redeeming late thing from the Memphis Grizzlies game is that Bochamp got extended minutes to maybe try and get back in a rhythm because he's been out for quite a while now with a non-COVID illness that also kept kept Serge Ibaka out. I don't know if they had the same thing, but Serge was – I didn't realize Serge was going 12 games, which is – a really long time uh, for someone to be out from an illness. So it was great to have Bochamp find a little bit of his rhythm against the Grizzlies. And then in this one, I mean, he just looked really confident and he kind of the way he's looked a lot of the year, just pulling up from three, he went, uh, what did he go? Four for four for seven, four for seven for three in the field. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the best thing, that I've seen from him the last two games where this happened against the Grizzlies is he was able to go take his guy, drive baseline. He's on an empty side. There's no other defenders over there. Go baseline. When he gets to the basket, use his butt to create a little space under the rim and then get a controlled finish. He did the exact same thing against the Jazz uh, late in the game too, which was just the kind of stuff that I don't think we saw early on in the year at all from him. And I, I had did not have much confidence at all when he put the ball on the floor. And so to see him be able to do that work within a 
you know, try and create his own shot, but then also work pretty well within a team team structure and know, okay, if I get the ball, they're expecting me to shoot. I should shoot it and have him knock down stuff at a much better clip from where he was at the beginning of the year. I mean, you have to be encouraged with, with where he's at in comparison to what one, one would have expected when he was drafted. Yeah. So and I think was, open floor, ahead. I was going to say his open floor running ability has, that was something that we highlighted earlier in the season. I think that's something that still stands out as well to me is his, just his awareness of if there's a two on one fast break, he knows exactly the kind of run that he needs to make. And he had one moment where he got a pass from George Hill. I think this was in the third quarter. He got a pass from George Hill and was able to, he, he got the ball, was able to kind of do a spin. He got fouled. But it was kind of one of those words, like he just knew what to do. He was in control. And after seeing plenty of people in the past not be in control when going up near the rim or not making the right run in a transition, it was just nice to see him know where his spot was. He gets the ball and he knew exactly what he needed to do. And he, and again, he got to the free throw line, made both free throws. It was just line. that was something that still continues. And I think that was something that at the beginning of the season, I was like, okay, that's how you're going to earn play time defense and making the right decisions. Yeah, he defensively. I thought uh, I'll start just briefly touch on that. I, I thought that, that was the weak the weak point of his his performance last night. Um, I think he really struggled uh, with Beasley, uh, especially in that second quarter. Um, and uh, one thing I, I will say about Beauchamp is I don't know if yet we've really seen him have uh, a great defensive outing uh, in regulation, regular season NBA action, um, which is okay. He's a rookie. Um, even with his pedigree and his tools, I, I, I don't think uh, it's alarming that he hasn't uh, been great defensively yet. But what was impressive to me last night was just how versatile he was offensively, which is um, something I think maybe he flashed in like that Oklahoma City game earlier this year. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't it, – it, he, he made threes, so he's four of seven from deep. That's maybe the what sticks out on the stat sheet. But uh, I liked especially – okay, so his effort in the fourth, I think, was, was the best. Um, but early in the game, um, he started the second and the fourth quarter. Um, his shift at the, the start of the second quarter was pretty nice. I mean, he, he hit a three. Um, he threw down a dunk uh, a, a possession or two later, and then um, – he drove inside again and, and picked up a foul, hit both free throws, as Kyle was talking about. Um, that's a great shift. I saw him maybe make only one miscue. Um, and then he comes back in the fourth. By the way, in the fourth, he was plus 17. That was the best on the team. Um, drew another foul. Um, he did pick up a, his steal in that, in that quarter. Um, hit a couple threes again, but um, maybe my favorite possession was um, he made a nice little bounce pass after getting to the nail um, behind him to Mamu top of the arc who hit a three. Um, so a, a nice read there for him. Um, it's, it's great to see him uh, against a, you know, an NBA opponent, a regular season NBA opponent of, uh, I guess, at least decent quality. It's kind of hard to know exactly what the jazz are right now, but for him to, uh, show this kind of diversity on offense as a rookie is pretty promising. I'm not expecting this uh, to happen uh, again, maybe for a while. Um, but uh, I think I think it was uh, I, I think the 
he proved he was he was healthy. I mean, he missed, gosh, probably two weeks uh, with this respiratory illness that kept um, Holiday out the last couple games too. Um, sounded like he lost a bit of weight during that time span as well. Um, so uh, he looks no worse for the wear right now. Um, I thought physically uh, this was a great game from him, um, especially his uh, his penetration uh, into the paint. So um, yeah, good news all around from the two young, the, the two youngest Bucks. I don't think there's anyone younger than uh, Mamu besides Marjan on the team. Probably not. Maybe AJ Green. That would yeah. have been my only guess is AJ. AJ Green. would have been the only other guy I could think of. I I think it's a. You do make a good point about his defense. I agree. I don't I don't think it's been quite as. Uh, maybe I thought that was going to be the one skill that he might have coming in, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. I think he's having trouble fighting over screens. He's maybe a little more big bodied than I expected. I and he also has gotten beaten one on one. That's for sure. But I, I would be curious how he would function at times when Bud tells everyone to just switch everything. Like, let's say they go against Boston or whatever, and they have their sort of smaller lineups, and Bud says, let's switch everything. I would be kind of curious to see how he fares in something like that, where he doesn't have to navigate quite as many uh, obstacles in his way, and he's just able to, okay, I guard this guy, then I guard that guy. So I'll, I'll be kind of curious to see. He was getting caught up on screens a lot, um, going going over uh, on, on Malik Beasley. So um, yeah, that's something he's... He's got to work on, I guess. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that's that's a difficult thing. Well, spe- I I am kind of curious though because I wanted to talk next about a couple of the games coming up. Obviously, Monday Joe Ingles is going to make his return against the New Orleans Pelicans, and I was kind of curious whether how the minutes might work out. Will Will Bochamp kind of revert back into the into the recede into the bench while Joe Ingles is finding his time there? I mean we already thought it was kind of difficult to find time for some of the players. And now, I mean, with someone else that you're going to be ramping in uh, with, with Joe Ingles, I mean, how, I don't know. How do you think Bud's going to try and work out the rotations, Kyle, as, as Joe Ingles finds his rhythm? I think Joe Ingles will still get about 10 to 15 minutes. I still think he'll get that. And I think it'll alternate between Wes and Marjan and Jordan Wara even. Like, I feel like one of those three between Wara, Wes and Marjan will get, the other wing minutes, I just don't know who. But I think Joe Ingles will probably get 10 to 15 minutes, ease him back in, and see how that goes at first. Because I feel like they're not going to – I don't think Bud's going to not bring him in. Like, they brought Joe Ingles in for a reason. They saw something knowing that even though he had this injury, if he's healthy, he can provide something for this team that not no one else on this roster can. So I, I think he'll get 15-ish minutes and then – Maybe it'll be games where Wes Matthews gets a run. Maybe there'll be minutes, games where Bochamp, maybe there's a game where Wara, maybe there's a game that none of them do, um, especially if it's close and you have Giannis and Chris healthy. So I, I, I think we'll probably see those minutes go to Joe Ingles and then maybe a smattering here or there for someone. I think that Ingles is probably, yeah, I'd be surprised if he's playing more than 15 minutes over the next several games. And um, I would guess that... Uh, I think the next back-to-back that the Bucks have is just at the beginning of January that he wouldn't play in a back-to-back, and maybe they wouldn't do that with him for the rest of the season. Um, I think that while Chris remains uh, out uh, for at least one more game and 
just if he continues to maybe struggle a bit, someone like Marjan or Wes Matthews will get a few more minutes um, uh, in in Chris's stead, um, and they'll kind of divide those those minutes at the three and four uh, up between up between those guys, um, especially more at the three. Um, not expecting not expecting huge things from Ingles right away. Um, glad he's back. Uh, this is, I believe it's just been over 11 months or just under 11 months since he last played January 30th. Um, went under the knife about a month later. Pretty good turnaround for a 35 year old coming off an ACL tear. Okay. So we have these, these, we have these games coming up. The Bucks are thanks to the Celtics losing to the magic once more. The Bucks are now first place in the East, which is delightful to say, but we have this, this long road trip coming up. Pretty interesting games. I would say every, every single one is interesting in its own way, but we have the Pelicans, then the Cavaliers, then the Nets, and then the Celtics. Uh, Kyle, out of those games, which one intrigues you most? I, I want to say the Celtics, I think the Nets game, might be the one that intrigues me just because the Nets have done a good job at not being a complete tire fire in the last months. Seems like since Kyrie was doing his bullshit nonsense, it feels as though the Nets have been actually doing really well. I think they've won like four or five games in a row. Let me think. Yeah, they've won six games in a row. They've quietly just been going about it pretty well, and Kevin Durant seems to be being Kevin Durant, and he seemed to have found a little bit of a balance. And like I said, they've done a good job at not making themselves the center of attention, which I think was a big reason for that. And part of that also could be Steve Nash is just not a good coach and did not help matters. So I'm curious to see what the Nets end up being because it does seem like it's just we're going to have Kevin Durant do everything that's needed. And if someone else can help him out, great. Hopefully it is what it is, but I, I think that's going to be the one. Cause it's not like there it's pretty much Kevin Durant, Kyrie taking all the shots like normal. And it, it's been working well enough. So that, that is going to be my intri- I'm intrigued to see like how much of this is legit and how much of this is they're playing bad teams. Yeah. I think that, the Nets game might be actually the the sneakily most uh, fascinating matchup in this. I mean, the the Celtics on Christmas Day obviously uh, has all the, the fireworks, but um, yeah, you, they're an enigma. The Nets, obviously, um, I you <laughs> I think it's I, th- I think it's reasonable to still doubt them just because um, at any point in the last you know three, four seasons um, when the Nets have looked like they were about to finally actualize that potential that we all predicted when they got Kyrie and KD and then especially after they got Harden um, and maybe even since they got Ben Simmons who people thought might be a good fit for them um, is I don't think necessarily like bad fit for them he's just um not really a part of their offense uh but yeah it's hard to uh it's hard to trust it's hard to trust brooklyn um you feel like they're just always one um tweet or uh 
one comment or one, um, I don't know, <laughs> what one one little little minute thing away from just falling apart again and being like this this disaster. So um, <laughs> I, I guess, but I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll be a they're a lot they're 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 a lot different uh, they're a lot different team I think than when the Bucks beat them way back at the beginning of the season even though the roster is basically the same they just are playing much differently much more confidently yeah nine and one in their last ten that's that's pretty good I I am curious to see the Pelicans because they obviously Zion who I th- I'm assuming will play they've had a lot of players who have been in and out it's been kind of hard to keep track of who's been playing when but I'm assuming Zion will play because I don't, I don't think I saw him on the injury report um but he's going to be a really interesting test for their interior defense obviously and the Pelicans also offer up quite a bit of defensive length that they can try and throw at Giannis and everyone else who is out there so I think that I think that'll be interesting but I, I mean you know, we'll we'll see how the Bucks fare against their them because they've also dropped two to the they just dropped two to the Jazz. Is that right? Did the Jazz just beat them? And the Suns. Um, yeah. Oh, and the Suns last beat night. Them. Yeah, because before that they were rolling. Yeah, they're uh, going to be without Ingram. He's already listed as out. Um, so that's a that's. That's obviously a positive for the Bucs. Um, he's obviously a, a really dynamic three-level scorer. Um, also, Larry Nance Jr. listed as doubtful right now. Um, that's a guy who I think sneakily gives the Bucks a lot of problems with his defense. Um, I mean, they still have guys like Herb Jones and um, and uh, I think uh, actually Valanciunas uh, gives them a lot of trouble on the boards. Uh, I'm just thinking back to his days in, in Toronto, but... Um, I think that uh, I, I think that just with the, the the matchup of these two teams with the with the the players who actually will be playing, uh, it's hard to. It, it looks pretty even. I don't know which way it'll go, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks won it, um, you know, by double digits. But I also won't be surprised if they lost. What about uh, Christmas Day, Kyle? How do you feel about this this Celtics game? Will will you be will your Christmas feel ruined at all if the Bucks lose? Um, it will not be ruined. Okay, well, it, how it depends on how it goes. It will not be ruined, but I will probably need a good hour or two if things don't go well. <laughs> that that's all I'm saying. I, I think the interesting thing about the Boston game is. I feel like that's a game that everyone's going to be paying attention to and to kind of figure it out. Okay, is this Bucks team, are they really going to be this challenge for the Celtics? And I think it's tough because I don't think we're going to learn anything new from that game. I, I think this is going to be one of those where you hope that you beat Boston, but beating Boston's not going to change my perception of, I think the Bucks can win the Eastern Conference. And even if they lose, I don't think that changes it either. I think it just gives you a little bit more confidence. I think it's more for just the national talk and media to kind of pick this game. While I think these other games, like the Cavaliers, the Pelicans, the Nets are really going to explain more about, okay, what is, what really is going on with Milwaukee? How are they going to get Chris and Joe Ingles and even Pat Connaughton back up to the levels that we need them to see while the Celtics game is going to be, all right, can you beat this team and get, can you get revenge? But I don't think it's going to change my perception. Um, I don't think it's going to like tell me anything new about the Bucks. 
or the Celtics even. Kind of curious to see how the Celtics do uh, coming off these these two pretty bad defeats. Um, they've got uh, the Pacers uh, in, let's see, I guess that's in two days now. Um, and hopefully they'll have, uh, well, I, they hope they'll have Jason Tatum back. Um, and then they've got uh, the Wolves on, on Friday. Um, these are, these games are all at home. Um, if uh, this is, uh, if, if the, the Celtics have dropped now uh, four of their last five, and um, if this is keeping up, if, if that kind of thing keeps up, um, I could see them, you know, really trying to get up for that, that Christmas Day matchup and just be like, all right, we've, we've really not been taking care of business lately. Um, we need to make some sort of a statement here um, on national TV versus our top rival for the East. Um, so they've got a few days off now before their next their next game. Um, they they're in the middle of a long home stand, um, which makes the fact that they dropped two to Orlando pretty weird. I believe Orlando's won six straight now. Um, <laughs> sneakily hot team. Um, so. Uh, it's a little bit tough to judge right now uh, how they're how, how they're gonna the Celtics will look even in just a week, um, just because I think that they've been playing a little bit above their their heads offensively. Certainly, I mean the the three point shooting is coming down to earth a bit now with them, um, and obviously they're making a big deal of getting uh, Robert Williams back. Um, he's slowly being worked into the rotation. Um, that gives their offense a little bit more uh, interior presence because he's such a great finisher and dunker, um, but and obviously helps their defense. I would, I, I've been telling this to my one of my best friends who's a Celtics fan. It's like he's their best defender, not Marcus Smart. He's their most important defender, Robert Williams. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit, it's it's kind of too early for me to to say like what the Celtics are going to look like in a, even just a week um, just because of how things have been going lately for them. The East is really topsy-turvy. I, I mean, I, I hadn't really been paying much attention, and all of a sudden I looked like you said, yeah, Orlando has won six straight. The Wizards have all of a sudden dropped nine straight. The Knicks have won seven straight, and Brooklyn's won six straight. It's like everything is shifting around a lot, and all, all of these, like, all these these first month narratives, it's just so easy for them to recede into the background and have them completely flip on their head. I mean, the Jazz are a perfect example of that, right? Like, should they, you know, they're in the top of the West all of a sudden? Well, they could they could pretty easily get a decent spot in the Wemby sweepstakes if they really wanted to. So, I mean these these things are shifting pretty quickly with all of these teams and Boston losing four out of five. They're obviously just as much a part of it. Yeah, and a team that I thought was going to be in the Wemby sweepstakes, and Indiana Pacers are somehow in ninth. Yeah, Just I used to randomly. I used to think that thirty games, which is about where we're at right now, was a really good litmus test for uh, just what a team might be. Um, and most teams have yeah played around that twenty-eight to thirty-one game mark right now. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, you know what team changed my opinion on that? It was the 2017 Milwaukee Bucks who uh, really were struggling until uh, they, they were a 500 team barely until um, Chris Middleton returned from that, that hamstring tear. 
and Jafari Parker tore his ACL for the second time, uh, which those those uh, Milton's return happened when Jafari. It was the same game when Jabari tore his ACL, wasn't it? It was the same yep. game against the Suns. Yeah. Um, and then after that, the the Bucks, uh, they 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 were they were they were one of the highest teams in the league the second half of the season. They end up getting the sixth seed. Um, they were up on the Raptors. So, um, I, yeah, I think I'm they won always... like like twenty games in March. Like the month yeah. of March, they just rolled through everybody. Right. So. <laughs> That's why I don't look at that 30-game mark as much anymore. Um, so even though that was, you know, just like a ended up being a, a very mediocre uh, team, uh, ultimately, I think they probably only finished a few games above 500. Uh, still, um, right? But like Adam said, it's especially hard to figure out. I think even harder to figure out the West, um, just because there are now six, seven, seven teams all within two and a half games of Memphis and first. So, you know, there's, it's too early to say everything's changing day to day, even in the, even at the top of the East it's changing. And like, there's teams like the Knicks who are all of a sudden like looking like a playoff team. Who knows what'll happen. Much, much to the chagrin, I'm sure of, of Mitchell Maurer, our co-managing editor who, who I, I appreciate, I appreciate his despising the Knicks. All right. Uh, that's going to do it. We're going to take a quick break here on the other side of this. We'll do our miscellaneous topics. We've got, we've got the film review of a film. I cannot wait to hear about and the return of Van's warp tour. So you're going to want to stick around for this. Stay tuned. All right. We are back. Kyle, your film review. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I do for love. I watched a movie called, I believe in Santa Claus. That is the name of the movie. It is a Christmas rom-com. It is a new one. It is on Netflix. It is oh, about oh, this couple. Good. It's a whole thing. It's basically, so this couple, there's this woman who's a single mother, has like an eight-year-old kid or something, meets this lawyer on 4th of July. They start dating. Things are going well. And then it gets to Christmas time and... This guy is all in on Christmas, and he's got his whole apartment. He's got a large apartment. That thing is decorated to the nine. He is all in on Christmas. It's his favorite holiday. And then it's like, okay, fine. And she hates Christmas. How convenient. And you're thinking, okay, all right, sure. And then they're going to work things out, and it's fine. Like, yeah, he's a lot. She's warm. She'll deal with it. She'll try. And then they have a conversation about Santa Claus. And that completely just makes it go like, okay, this is just going to be like a couple figuring it out through the holidays too. Oh no, this guy's like, he truly believes in Santa Claus and like is dead serious about it. And that just creates friction. And then it just becomes a, I don't even know, I wouldn't even call it a rom-com. It is just a, what in the actual F is this movie? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I'm like... I feel like this would be a red flag. Like if like this is one of those where it's like, no, this is a red flag. This dude's a red flag. Like it's one thing to like go along, like love Christmas. Okay, fine. You can love Christmas. But to be like he was very determined and like tried explaining and like use his lawyer skills to explain how Santa Claus is real. And I'm just like I I don't know what, what the hell just happened. Um Yeah. It 
out of all the Christmas rom-coms, that was definitely the most WTF uh, Christmas rom-com I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know what I want. I don't, I can't even describe like how I watched it. It is on Netflix. <laughs> You'll just have to see for yourself. I, I can't I was... even give it a proper rating. Cause it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like if you're expecting a good movie, you're not getting that. But if you want a movie, I don't even know if it's like, it's so bad. It's good. Like, I don't even know if we're at that level. Doesn't sound like it. I don't know. I, I, I I don't know, man. Like, it's... It's something. I was... I decided to look this movie up. Um, and I was reminded of a... I watched a... I watched a Netflix Christmas rom-com. I remember uh, back in 2020 when, you know, we were in our little bubble. Um, somehow got cajoled into it. And uh, I was incredulous that that movie did not have a a Wikipedia page, and also like a number of the actors in it, like were just people I'd never heard of. Um, so I decided to look up "I Believe in Santa Claus" on Wikipedia to see if it had a Wikipedia page, and it does not. It linked me to uh, when I when I, it redirected me from "I Believe in Santa" to Megan Trainer's Christmas album. Um, oh no! <laughs> because oh, no. there's a song on that, uh, I guess, called "I Believe in Santa." So, um, yeah, that's how notable this movie of yours is, Kyle. Wow. Uh, so no rating, Kyle. I no cannot, rating. I can't <laughs> even think of like what to rate it. Because again, I, I don't even know like how I should grade this. It's an incomplete. <laughs> okay, well, uh, did, I mean, did Emma like it? You sort of insinuated you were watching it. She with fell her. asleep. Okay. <laughs> 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 she fell asleep so i don't even know <laughs> and it was her idea right? yes she picked the okay. movie okay wait but did you so then you watched it through to the end yeah okay <laughs> you stuck with it even after your wife fell asleep i, I mean there was only what like, by the time i realized she, by the time i realized it it was like there was like 20 minutes left i was like you know what Screw i'll just it. see it out 20 more minutes can't quit. hurt. You didn't quit on it. Yeah. That's stick to it of nets if I've ever heard of it. Uh, yeah. Well, good good work, Kyle. Good on you. <laughs> Seen it all the way through. Uh, I, need a, wow. I need a cleanse. I gotta I, I need to find a new movie. I just gotta find a movie to cleanse the palate. Okay. Well, uh Van, t- take us on your work <laughs> tour. All right, how to follow that up. Um I think the last time we did this, um, or the last two times, uh, there was an Italian song I did, um, and there was a German song, and I had to pick between those two, and I went with the German uh, of, uh, like, I had, I had a, I, I, there were two I was considering, and it was like, should I go with another Italian one, or should I go with this kind of German one? And we're going, we're going to Deutschland for this, uh, apologies to Riley, uh, our a resonant, um, German well, you gotta go. Final. You gotta go to Germany in celebration of Argentina winning the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here with that. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna go into that because the song isn't actually in German. It's by a a 
it's even hard to say that this band is German because the original lineup and their lineup when they recorded this song, uh, two of the members were from Jamaica, one was from Aruba, and one was from Montserrat. So all small Caribbean nations, um, none of which were like, well, the, I don't think the Germans had any colonial interest in the Caribbean. It's all France and the UK and the Netherlands. So how these people ended up in, in Germany, uh, I'm not really sure. But they founded a band uh, called Boney M. Uh, that's B-O-N-E-Y and M, like the initial M. Um, this is a song that uh, maybe older listeners might know or might remember. Um, they were not a group I'd heard of. And this song came up on um, Shuffle and Spotify, and it came up in the midst of, uh, I would say, like, more electronic-focused, modern, like, modern sort of, like, indie rock, indie pop, um, but with an emphasis on European artists. That was just what I happened to be listening to last night. And... The song came up and I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of neat. It's like a it's like a throwback. It's like a little bit of a neo disco type thing. And I look it up. It's actually disco. So uh, I'm sorry to bring up disco. Um, I know some people hate it uh, still. But this band, yes, active in Germany from 1974 to 1988. And again, a German Caribbean band. Well, they were they didn't they were singers. Four women and, and, and a guy, or three women, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think the line changed a bit. But they recorded this song called Rasputin. Um, so Germans, German Caribbeans talking about a Russian guy. Um, from, you know, several decades in the past, this song was recorded in 1978. So um, this, the, the, the lyrics are all in English. And I didn't know too much about Rasputin. Uh, prior to getting a little bit into this song, um, he uh, the, the 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 chorus is kind of is kind of fun. It's uh, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen, Rasputin, Russia's greatest love machine. Um, uh, he was this this womanizer, I guess, um, and he he got in real tight with the the Tsarina, the wife of Nicholas II, the last uh, king of the Russian Empire. Um, and he wielded a lot of influence, uh, certain, maybe some history buffs, people who are more up on Russian history will know this better, but this has been my real, uh, my real gateway into learning who Rasputin actually was. Um, he apparently was this holy man who, uh, the, the Tsarina, you know, the, the, the queen thought had healing powers, um, to deal with her sick son, uh, who was, uh, I think or something uh just some some sort of trait that carried on from like queen victoria like that made a whole bunch of royals sick but yeah fun song um some good lyrics uh you know they're, they're a german group so uh he ruled the russian land and never mind the czar but the kazachuk he danced really wunderbar um the kazachuk is as i found out the uh that's the kind of Russian, the typical Russian sailors dance or whatever, like the, 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 the Cossack dance where, you know, they have their, their elbows out and their, their upper body is very still, but they're doing all kinds of like fun stuff with their legs, like kicking and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the tune Rasputin by Boney M. Um, check it out. Uh, 
it's a, it's a, it was a hit, uh, in, I guess, um, it, it got big in the UK. It was a, it was a number one hit there or number, a number two hit there, but a number one hit in Australia, um, Austria, a number of other nations, Germany, of course, but, uh, did not make much of a, did not make much of an impact in the U S charts, uh, the disco charts at the time, but, uh, it's a jam. I, you should check it out. Rasputin, Boney M. So that's uh, that's my uh, there's my there's my warped music tastes again for you. Uh, I have to say, I, I am intrigued just from reading the lyrics, which is not always the case. I mean, there's some very interesting turns of phrase in there. Uh, it's, yeah, it's well written. It's well written. Yeah. Sounds like sounds like quite the man. All right. Well, Boney M's Rasputin. Okay. I don't know how historically accurate it is. But. Well, we'll we'll just presu- we'll presume it is. Uh, okay. We have our predictions for the aforementioned four games we talked about earlier: Pelicans, Cavaliers, Nets, Celtics. Kyle, what say you for your record? I will go. I was very pessimistic last week. I I think three and one. I think. Win against the Pelicans, win against the Cavaliers, lose the Nets, win against the Celtics. Don't ask me why. I'm going to go three and one. I'm going to go two and two. Um, I think that um, I think that the the Pelicans uh, with without Ingram and with um, the with Giannis coming back after a little bit of rest, which I think will do them well. Um, I think they'll win that. But I, I actually think that going to Cleveland, they've beaten Cleveland twice this year. And um, even without uh, – looking at Cleveland's injury report, they're, uh, with, they're without Dean Wade and um, and Lamar Stevens. Uh, Lamar Stevens gave Giannis a bit of trouble in that last matchup. But uh, I think the Cavs will be pretty motivated um, to finally uh, do something against against the Bucks. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they'll beat, I'm thinking they'll beat the Nets. Um, they have a lot of success with the Nets. Um, and I think the Nets are probably playing a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit above their heads right now. Um, just, or they're just a little too hot. They just need to, to come down to earth. And, um, yeah, the, I, I don't think, uh, Christmas day will be <sighs> last year is interesting. Uh, the Celtics game, um, they, the Bucks were down pretty big in that fourth quarter early on and they came back and won. Um, and then, uh, I mean, we all of course remember the, 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 the Sixers, uh, Christmas day championship of like three years ago now, three, four years ago. Um, I don't think it's going to be as bad as that, but, um, I'm just chalking up a two and two week. I, I won't be surprised if they go three and one. I won't be surprised if they beat the Celtics and the Nets, but, um, yeah. Put me down as the loss in the Cavs game and the loss in the Celtics game. We'll see how I do, though. Uh, I wanted to go 4-0, but I, I think I have to go 2-2. Two and two. Uh, I, I was just looking at the, uh, the home records of these teams. Gr- granted, they're, they're good teams, but they've been sterling. So the Cavaliers, 14-2 at home, which is quite good. Pelicans, just looking at this, 12-3 at home. Uh, the other two are kind of middling, but those are two pretty good teams at home. Obviously, it's always tough for the Bucks on the road. They might have, might not have. They won't have Chris for the Pelicans game. Hopefully, he'll be back for the future games. 
I could just see see it being two and two, and I think that'd be a pretty good road trip given the the quality of competition, regardless, and you know the sense that the the Bucks are going to be traveling all of these these different times. And anyway, I think two and two would be pretty good. So far, far, far be it for me to be super optimistic and go four and zero. So I'm just going to go two and two. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's episode. We're going to take a an extended break after this for the holidays, the next two weeks, but we will certainly uh, return to the airwaves after that. We'll have a lot better idea of what this Bucks team is, their ultimate potential, I think, too. These are going to be some great uh, competition for them. Go to brewhoop.com in the interim for all our usual coverage. Share the podcast with your friends. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>